You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We begin with the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team announcing an arrest and charges in its largest investigation since the team's inception, the murder of 13-year-old Marissa Shen. The accused, 28-year-old Ibrahim Ali. Grace Key has more on the arrest and what we're learning about the man accused. Grace. Well, we're just in front of the memorial here at Central Park that has been set up for Marissa Shen. And throughout the day, some people have been coming by, dropping off flowers after learning of iHit's announcement that was made just this morning about an arrest. Based on new evidence that was recently gathered by our investigators, we are able to confirm one person as the prime suspect. After 14 months, a major break in the murder of 13-year-old Burnaby resident Marissa Shen. On Friday, police arrested 28-year-old Ibrahim Ali. He's now been charged with first-degree murder. The integrated homicide investigation team saying they became aware of Ali two weeks ago based on new evidence. As for a possible motive, they're not commenting. We still believe that this crime was a random act meaning that Marissa did not know the suspect and vice versa. Marissa was reported missing July 18 last year. Surveillance video showed the teen at her apartment complex and later at a nearby Tim Hortons. Her body was found early the next morning in Burnaby Central Park. News of the arrest spread quickly with neighbors leaving flowers at a memorial set up in Central Park next to Marissa's complex. This is my park, our park. I just felt so touched to hear that they found who did it. It's been a horrifying year, honestly. It's been absolutely terrifying to live here alone. I heard news say, catch you, the bad guy. I'm happy because I always walk Central Park. Ali was arrested in Burnaby, where he'd been living. He's a Syrian national who arrived in Canada 17 months ago. He's not known to police and has no criminal record. Marissa's family thanked the police, public and media in a statement read by IHIT. We hope that justice will now be served and that Marissa can finally be at peace in heaven. All right, Grace, what about what happens next? Do we know when Ali will appear in court? Well, Ali is in custody, so we'll be getting our first look at him on Friday when he makes his next court appearance. Sophie? All right, Grace, we lost your audio there for a moment, but uh, we apologize for those technical difficulties. Ibrahim Ali uh, will be appearing in court later this week on that charge of first-degree murder. And as you just heard in Grace's story, Ibrahim Ali arrived in Canada as a refugee from Syria 17 months ago, just three months before Shen was killed. John Hua has more on the questions being raised about how Ali came to B.C., and the fears about the impact his arrest might have on public opinion about refugees. For thousands of Syrian refugees who now call British Columbia their home, coming here marked a new hopeful chapter in their lives. But now one of those stories has taken a horrific turn. He was a uh, Syrian uh, national. It's our understanding that he is a permanent, re permanent resident. Homicide investigators have charged Ibrahim Ali with the first-degree murder of Marissa Shen, the 28-year-old refugee arriving in Canada just months before the alleged crime. I would just hope that, um, you know, we look at this incident 
for what it is, and it's it's a one-off uh, situation. Still, settlement workers are worried. Syrian refugees now in Canada might become the targets of those critical of the program that brought them in. We uh, are concerned about, you know, perceptions that, that around one horrific um, incident that it whitewashes an entire community. It's still unknown whether the accused arrived as a government-assisted refugee or was privately sponsored. Experts say if Ali was among the tens of thousands fast-tracked to come to Canada, that doesn't mean he wasn't properly vetted. As far as I'm aware, there were no shortcuts in the vetting process. Immigration lawyer Peter Edelman says unless someone has a criminal record, screening for possible crimes like this can be a challenge. There's no uh, consensus on how you might go about doing that and what the indicators of future criminality might be, uh, even for Canadian citizens. Once welcomed with open arms, Syrian refugees across Canada are now offering the Shen family a warm embrace, stating they're just as shocked as anyone. A crime like this could happen in their new home. John Hua, Global News. Now, the investigation over the past 14 months was extensive. I hit revealing today more than 1,300 residents surrounding Central Park were canvassed. More than 600 interviews were conducted. More than 2,000 persons of interest were identified and eliminated. More than 1,000 hours of video footage was collected and reviewed from 60 locations. And the marissashen.org website has generated about 80,000 visits to date. So what led investigators to Ibrahim Ali? While IHIT is holding back much of that information right now, our Catherine Urquhart spoke to a criminologist about what techniques investigators may have used. When Marissa Shen was murdered and there were no immediate arrests, investigators needed to solve an intricate puzzle. Like similar cases, DNA collection was critical. They would have started out by uh, securing the scene and securing the human remains and then uh, analyzing just about everything. Also key, surveillance video. This one showed Shen only hours before her death. Investigators went further, seeking video from the public and media outlets. Could the suspect have been a face in the crowd at her memorial? I can say we've received tips, but the nature of those tips, I can't speak to those. Another piece of the puzzle, the suspect profile. Police said the person might have unexpectedly moved, avoided the area, withdrawn from social activities, or missed work. They may have been suicidal, monitored media coverage, or changed drug and alcohol use. These are compiled by very capable and experienced criminal profilers of the RCMP. We don't put these up just for no reason. Geographic profiling also part of the equation. Usually point to uh, the probability that the person lives close to the scene of the crime. For now, much of the evidence is being withheld in order to protect the case. A clear picture of how police solve this puzzle to be revealed in the weeks ahead. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Part of the Malahat Highway closed for hours this morning after falling rocks hit a vehicle. And while the slide wasn't huge, it is the second time in the last few weeks the major route has been shut down, effectively cutting off Greater Victoria from the rest of Vancouver Island. Kylie Stanton has more on the frustration and calls for a solution. Traffic at a standstill. Drivers stuck, waiting for hours. Do you know how much longer it's going to be? This situation is becoming all too familiar. 
and increasingly frustrating. They need something to be done about it. For the second time in three weeks, the Malahat was closed to traffic, essentially cutting off Greater Victoria from the rest of Vancouver Island for several hours, this time because of a rock that fell into the roadway at the summit. It came down the southbound lanes, bounced actually across the center median into the northbound lanes where it came to rest on the shoulder. It had a minor impact with a northbound pickup truck, uh, no injuries to the driver, but certainly we did close down the highway immediately. As engineers assessed the area, determining it was an isolated event likely due to heavy rains, the roughly 22,000 vehicles that travel this route every day were left to wait it out, leaving plenty of time to ponder a solution. If you're at this point, you're kind of stuck, so no other way around. With no alternate route available by road, drivers are forced to come to this small ferry terminal where the boat crosses from Brentwood Bay over to Mill Bay. But the vessel only takes roughly 20 cars per crossing. And for those who are inevitably stuck facing sailing weights, that's just not good enough. There does need to be a different access up the island. There's just too great of a population. This petition that started a few weeks ago when a driver died after crashing this sewage truck on the highway just goes to show there's a growing concern. People in, in the government need to start asking some questions. They need to start answering some questions. Business still has to happen. People still have to be able to move around. And to shut down the main artery, the only artery into town, um, is unacceptable. The hope is to find some option by road, water, even rail. You know, the more alternatives people have, uh, the better. The Ministry of Transportation confirms it is assessing the corridor and will have an update this fall. Until then, drivers will just have to wait. But that's something they're getting used to. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. A bombshell from Vancouver's ruling political party. Word just coming out that Ian Campbell, Vision Vancouver's mayoral candidate, is withdrawing from the race. In a statement, Campbell says after reflecting on the political landscape and his own complicated personal journey, he has decided it would be best to drop out. It's not clear whether Vision will put forward another name for mayor. Well, Campbell's announcement comes on the same day that a new poll is released, which suggests the city could be on its way to its first independent mayor since the late 1960s. Ted Chernecki has more on the front runner, but why it's a little too early to call the winner just yet. So I've been an MP for seven years. Kennedy Stewart, the member of Parliament who gave up a seat to NDP leader Jagmeet Singh and is now running for mayor, is in the lead in the first civic election poll, albeit 41 days until voting day. I write the main local government textbook used in Canada. I mean, I, I really have the most experience of all the candidates. He's also the only one with any real name recognition. And even with that, he has a measly 14.4% of the decided vote. Ken Sim is in second at 7.5, but behind a candidate called someone else. When asked if they would vote for someone else not on the list, 9.8% said they would. There's no incumbent, and that tends to result in many more candidates. And some of the candidates are known, but many of them, people don't really know anything about them at this point. And if you add in the leaning voters with the decided, Stewart jumps to 23.3%, with someone else again in second. Well, all I can do over the next, I think, 41 days is to try to talk to many people as I can, present them with very concrete ideas, tell them about my experience, what I've done elsewhere, and, uh, and, and hopefully that will... Uh, Make, help them make up their minds. Civic elections are notorious for low voter turnout, but the last one in Vancouver was surprisingly high at 43%. And with so many seats up for grabs this year, it's also expected to be above average. But polls this early in the game mean almost nothing when it comes to who will be the next mayor.
it's very expensive and timely to get a true random sample of individuals. So the margin of error on these things are not just large, they're mostly unknown. What won't change are the issues. Affordable housing tops the list. Kinder Morgan, a distant second. And way at the bottom, bike lanes. Only 1.8% care about that. And then there's the question of voter clarity as marijuana is legalized three days before the October 20th election. Tetranet Global News. Well, she served as Delta's mayor for 19 years, and it appears Lois Jackson isn't ready to leave civic politics just yet. But instead of running for mayor, Jackson is revealing today she will join mayoral candidate George Harvey's slate, named achieving for Delta, vying for a seat as a city councillor. Harvey says Jackson is a welcome addition to the team. Earlier this year, Jackson announced her plans to give up her mayor's seat because she needed more time to care for her sick daughter. Right now, though, BC's Conservation Service is investigating a video that appears to show the brazen poaching of an endangered species in the Fraser Valley. As Jill Bennett reports, they're looking for the people caught on camera making off with a huge sturgeon, fish that can reach 150 years old. I'm a fishing guide. I'm out on the Fraser River fishing and I'm watching these guys stealing a sturgeon. In the video, it's difficult to see exactly what's happening, but a BC conservation officer says an angler caught a sturgeon in the Fraser River in Chilliwack August 31st. While he was reeling in the 300-pound fish, two men approached under the guise of offering to help. The other two males went and grabbed the sturgeon and threw it in the back of the truck and took off. In my 21-year career, I've never seen anybody actually steal a sturgeon from another angler. I've never heard of it, actually. Stahl says a sturgeon like the one stolen can be worth thousands of dollars for the meat and caviar if it's female. Patrols on the river have now increased. On Friday, I think they've checked uh, 32, 33 fishermen, angler, and I think 29 of those were sturgeon anglers and there were some charges laid. Those charges were for things such as licenses, not for keeping sturgeon. By law, they must be released. For the Fraser River Sturgeon Conservation Society, the video is concerning. The group has spent years raising awareness. These fish are an incredible species. They're long-lived. They take years to mature, and they only spawn every five to eight years in the wild. So the impact of the loss of a fish to our population is for significant concern. Through tagging and tracking, the group estimates there are 35 to 40,000 sturgeon still in the river. In recent years, we have seen a decline, uh, particularly in the juvenile population, so the small little fish. So it's really critical for us to protect the fish that will spawn. Yeah, I need you to call conservation officers, get down to Bowman's Point. As for the investigation, BC Conservation says two suspects have been identified. They could face penalties, including fines and even jail time, if charged and convicted. Jill Bennett, Global News. After another record-setting year for forest fires, the BC government is making millions of dollars available to communities to help offset the risks for future fire. $10 million will be made available for the remainder of the current fiscal year, and then $40 million is promised to the program over the course of the next two years. Communities will have to apply for funding, but the government will cover 100% of costs associated with reducing risks of wildfire and to protect critical infrastructure. One of the things that has really been a challenge for us is obtaining multi-year funding. Um, you, you know, some of the people that we contract with don't have the appropriate type of equipment to do what we want them to do for fire smarting, just because they can't afford to buy it if they don't know that the program isn't going to be more than one year in length. 
Cities have until December 7th to apply for the first round of funding. A good part of the annual gathering of B.C. municipalities will be spent on one of the biggest changes to Canadian law and society in history, the upcoming legalization of marijuana. Richard Zussman has a look ahead. It's like speed dating for politicians. This week in Whistler, UBCM municipal leaders will sit down with provincial leaders. And one of the big issues that is likely going to come up, marijuana revenues. The UBCM members want to see 40% of all the tax revenues that come in from recreational pot legalization that starts October 17th to be handed over from the province to the municipalities. At this point, the province doesn't seem willing to budge, saying they're going to have costs of their own. We also expect to find out more in terms of permitting and what may be done about pot shops that do not have proper permits that won't close once the legalization comes into effect on October 17th. The other major issue that will be discussed this week, the speculation tax and housing. We expect to hear some concern from municipalities about the way the province has implemented the spec tax. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, it seems not a day goes by when we're not told about the threats posed by cybercrime. Our Consumer Matters reporter, Andrea, joins us with the latest advice from the experts on how to avoid it if we can. Annie. I know, such a big problem. We just had a breach with British Airways just a few days ago. Thanks, mm. Sophie. From scams to breaches, criminals are getting more and more creative and sophisticated when it comes to stealing our personal information. So how can you prevent it from happening at all? Well, ultimately, the security expert we spoke with says you can't, but there are some things you can do to protect yourself. And it's probably a, a real password that you used, and that's the lure, that's the trick. Security expert Chester Wisniewski warns us about the latest extortion scam making the rounds. Criminals taking old passwords bought and sold online, using them against unsuspecting victims. In this case, they're taking old password databases that might have been leaked six, seven, ten years ago. Uh, those passwords, might, those websites might not even allow you to use that password anymore, but they're using that as a way to impersonate uh, an authority to you and, and, and extort you for money. Extort you for money by claiming to have compromising images of you. But Wisniewski says that's unlikely. Unless you happen to store some compromising pictures somewhere where you do use that password. Even in that case, the criminals wouldn't know it. They're just bluffing. From LinkedIn to the recent Air Canada breach, cyber criminals continue to collect our passwords and credit card information. A 2018 IBM-sponsored data breach study reported 48% of all breaches are caused by malicious or criminal attacks. So, how do you protect yourself? One of the best defenses is safe password use. For starters, don't use the same password for all your accounts. If you use that password on more than one website, as soon as the criminals have it, they try to log into Facebook with it. Then they try to log into Instagram with it. Then they try to log into every banking website. That's why Wisniewski recommends a password manager tool that can safely store and manage complex passwords in an encrypted database. And that's the key, not to use that same password everywhere and, and to try to make it um, complicated, which means we don't want to memorize it. So it's better to use a program and let it do it. And ignore that pop-up that appears asking you to save your password. But perhaps the best defense when it comes to protecting your personal information? Wisniewski says, trust no one. People think, oh, yeah, they're just being paranoid. Mm, no, they are out to get us. And sadly, um, other than friends and family, we need to start with a position of no trust unless we initiate the contact. 
So again, most security experts agree a password manager is one of your best defenses against cyber criminals. Passwords should be unique and strong, have a variety of characters, and should never be reused. And a password manager can help you with all of that. Our security expert also warns to stop sharing so much personal information on social media sites because criminals are taking advantage of that information and could try and scam us in the future. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my information. You can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, good advice. Thank you, Ann. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A rude awakening for people in Pennsylvania after a gas pipeline exploded in the early morning hours. The flames visible for several kilometers. One home was destroyed and as many as 30 others were evacuated. An interstate was also closed because of falling power lines, but thankfully no deaths or injuries reported. The city of Toronto is in an uproar tonight over the actions of Ontario Premier Doug Ford. Ford is invoking the rarely used notwithstanding clause of the Constitution to go ahead with his plans to slash the size of Toronto City Council from 47 seats to 25. That's after an Ontario Superior Court justice blasted the law as unconstitutional, saying it was passed with no consultation. But Ford claims the idea has wide support among Toronto residents and was opposed only by a small group of councillors. A quick break from the news right now because it's time to find out the winner of the 2018 PNE Prize Home. Get your tickets ready if you don't already have them out. The draw just getting underway with PNE Vice President of Operations Jeff Strickland. Let's join them now down at the PNE. Good evening, British Columbia, and welcome to the Pacific Coliseum celebrating its 50th anniversary here in Vancouver. I'm Jeff Strickland, Vice President of the PNE, and after another successful fair at the PNE, we are ready to draw the winning ticket for this year's PNE Prize Home. I'd like to ask Vancouver Councillor, Vancouver City Councillor, and Chair of the PNE Board of Directors, Raymond Louis, to pull the winning ticket. Okay, Raymond. Okay. Once Raymond pulls the winning ticket, he will read the ticket number for verification. All right. Lucky British Columbians, ticket number is 512-80774. The lucky ticket is now being authenticated by our lottery officials, and then we will call the winner. If you bought a ticket to this year's PE Prize Home, we could be calling you right now. So, if your phone is ringing, you really want to pick it up. <laughs> Earlier today, we gave away 18 amazing prizes a $5,000 shopping spree from Best Buy, five $5,000 travel vouchers courtesy of Air Canada Vacations, five fantastic luxury BMW vehicles from Brian Jessel BMW, five cash prizes a custom Harley-Davidson motorcycle from Trev Dealey Motorcycles, and this year's 50-50 winner was awarded half the jackpot, totaling over $859,000. All the excitement has built up to this moment, the draw for the 2018 Peeney Prize Home Grand Prize. And of course, the fun continues here at the Peony. And please join us here in the Coliseum as we welcome Cirque du Soleil's Corteo in October, 
concerts throughout the year, and Disney on Ice in November. Of course, don't miss Fright Nights throughout October in Playland. And new for this year, our Chinese New Year Festival is, is returning with all new lanterns throughout the month of February. Unfortunately, the winner was not available by phone, but I am very pleased to announce that our winner is from Vancouver, and the winner of the 2018 Peony Prize Home is Keith Edwards from Vancouver. Once again, that is Keith Edwards from Vancouver. For all of you folks watching at home, thank you so much for supporting the Peony, for visiting us during the fair, and we look forward to hosting you at our many events throughout the year, and of course, next year at the Peony's uh, 2019 fair. Good night, everyone. <laughs> And there you have it, folks, another PE prize home draw in the books of Vancouver's Keith Edwards, apparently the winner of that beautiful PE prize home, which will be relocated to Naramata, 512-8007-4. And again, it's Keith Edwards. So, Keith, if you're watching, housewarming party. Congratulations to you. All right, back to the news of the day now. And another Hollywood power player is out of a job tonight as accusations of sexual harassment pile up against him. CBS chief Les Moonves stepping down after new accusations of misconduct. Tonight, a stunning fall for one of the most powerful men in media. CBS chief Les Moonves resigned hours after the number of women accusing him of sexual misconduct doubled from six to 12 with Ronan Farrow's latest New Yorker article. Wife Julie Chen, the talk is live a host on CBS's The Talk, sat out today's season premiere. She's taking off time to be with her family. The network announced $20 million would be donated to the Me Too movement, taken out of whatever severance Moonves may get. When I turned like this, he grabbed my head and pulled it all the way down. TV executive Phyllis Golden Gottlieb says last year she went to the police in Los Angeles to report the incident, which allegedly took place in the 80s, but the statute of limitations ran out. I would like to see him be accountable. The latest round of accusations ranges from violent encounters to sexual assault and harassment. Nearly every time I went there, he propositioned me. Deborah Kate was a massage therapist in the late 90s, hired to treat CBS staff, including Moonves. He took the sheet and he threw it off of himself, um, exposing himself to me. In a statement, Moonves writes in part, Untrue allegations from decades ago are now being made against me that are not consistent with who I am. Moonves told The New Yorker three of the relationships were consensual, but didn't say which three. Tonight, even with the denials, the man credited with masterminding CBS's dominance is out of a job. Stephanie Gosk, NBC News, New York. In Health Matters tonight, a new study is warning about sedative use among older people. The study says some seniors are using sedatives like Xanax or Valium for a dangerously long time. Researchers found a quarter of those who received a prescription for sedatives were still taking them a year later. They say long-term use among older patients can increase the risk of car accidents and bad falls. We are expecting more wind than we had with Hugo and more water than we had with Matthew. 
evokes the memory of two hurricanes that caused death and destruction as he warns people to get ready for Hurricane Florence. The entire South Carolina coast is under an evacuation order as Florence is expected to be close to a Category 5 storm by the time it makes landfall. Hundreds of thousands in Virginia and North Carolina also ordered to head inland or prepare for the worst. An historic find in northern Italy. Accidental archaeologists discover an ancient treasure. I'll tell you about it right after the forecast. All right. They're frantically calling Keith Edwards down at the PE. Keith Edwards of Vancouver is the winner of the beautiful PE prize home. Our Christy Gordon is there with the forecast and Jeff Strickland, who just gave us the winner's name. Okay. Keith, the reason why I'm phoning is to say congratulations. You are the winner of the 2018 PE prize home. Wow. Keith, <laughs> for the rest of British Columbians living vicariously through you right now, how does it feel? You're on the air You're right now. live on television right now. Don't swear. I'm speechless. <laughs> <laughs> never, uh, never thought that'd be possible. Well, what time are you home, Keith? Because I see that you're fairly close by. We can send a, a vehicle to come pick you up. You're on the ferry? Uh, well, going to Tawasa Terminal and then catching it to Nanaimo. Oh, you're heading out of town. Well, regardless, yeah. Keith, what we're going to do is we're going to key up with you and have you come back, give you the royal tour of your brand new dream home here at the PE, and we look forward to doing that with you very shortly. Um, okay, well, um, I do work, so I have to fit it into work schedule, but... Uh... Work is a priority, we understand that. But what we'll do is I'm going to pass you off, stay on the line, we're going to get your details, and we're going to coordinate a time for you to come visit your new home. Congratulations, Keith. Congratulations. <laughs> That's pretty exciting. So we just talked to the winner, Keith Edwards from Vancouver. He's heading out of town for work, but uh, pretty exciting that we finally got him on the phone. Uh, I do need to tell you a little bit about the weather. It has been rather ugly today. Tough turn into what is feeling like fall, despite that it's not necessarily fall. And we've had a few lightning strikes across the region, and we're expecting a similar day tomorrow. Highs of only 17 degrees. That's certainly below average for this time of year. You can see right across the province, we will see a number of showers with a risk of thunderstorms. The key thing here that I want to point out is the snow headed for the BC Peace River area. Starting off as rain, changing over to snow. Hurricane Florence also keeping an eye on that. Category 4. This is a massive hurricane. The largest hurricane to head this far north. We will be tracking this. It's expected to make landfall on Thursday and then stall over the Carolinas, bringing in a ton of rain, potentially 300 plus millimeters. Across the north, we talked about the rain changing to snow for BC Peace River. South, a chance of showers with a risk of thunderstorms. South coast, mainly cloudy, 17 and showers. And is going to be on and off cool weather with showers right through until the weekend. Not much change in sight, but pretty exciting talking to Keith Edwards, uh, Sophie from Vancouver, being the winner of the Peony Prize home tonight. Off to Nanaimo tonight, but off to Naramata at some point in the near future with his brand new home. That's right. All right. Thanks, Christy. A remarkable discovery in northern Italy during excavations to build a new apartment building. Crews digging in the historic center of Como found a small stone jar containing about 300 coins believed to date back to 474 B.C. Now, they still don't completely understand the history of the coins because the jar holding them is unusual compared to other Roman-era containers. No official word on the value, but some reports say they could be worth millions. As we mentioned off the top of the show, Chris is off tonight, but it's all for a good cause.
Four! Well, he yelled four, but the tree couldn't get out of the way, so it bounced back onto the fairway. Uh, Squire was also there, CKNW's Linda Steele, and this uninvited guest. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, they were all taking part in the New West Chamber and CKNW Kids Fund Take a Swing Golf Tournament to raise money for the Kids Fund. The fund, of course, has been providing support for children with physical, mental, and social challenges for more than 70 years. Big news today, that guy in the blue shirt, Brad Ferraro, won a brand new mini when he got a hole-in-one. Nice. A hole-in-one at the beautiful Vancouver Golf Club. Are winning things left and right today. Should we go buy a lottery ticket when you and I are done? We should. We should. Yeah, I still, I think I've only ever won 10 bucks on those things. All right, my friend. Yes, my friend. What you got? Travis Uloy is okay after taking that big shot on Friday. I know you're out of town, but I'll show it to you mm -hmm. right now. Uh, evening, everybody. Travis Lule is the BC Lions version of a Timex watch. Yeah, the guy takes a licking and keeps on ticking. He's, he was knocked out of the Lions game against Ottawa on Friday. It was a headshot that it should have at least drawn a fine. It hasn't happened as of, though, uh, as of yet, though. Uh, he heads into week 14, as well as a road game in Montreal. And Travis says he's ready to go. Go. Oh, he got tasted. Man. Travis really took a lick there. I mean, you're concerned about the head. I was, I mean, I felt pretty confident from the get-go that I didn't have concussion-type stuff just because there was no deja vu or I didn't feel like I was fuzzy and my bell rung and that type of stuff. Been hit like that, obviously, years ago in the past, but this was different. This was just, you know, pressure just from, you know, obviously my jaw getting hit. It was a helmet hit straight to Travis Lulay's chin and one that went unpunished. It also left its mark. And when you relive the hit that Lulay absorbed, it's remarkable that the Lions quarterback left the field under his own power, considering he almost bit his tongue off. Well, that's that's initially what happened when I got hit. Uh, my, I bit my tongue really hard, honestly. My mouth guard probably saved my tongue and potentially a concussion because that would have been a much more violent hit, right? But, um, yeah, so my tongue was completely numb. So when I was first getting assessed, that was that was the issue. Was I couldn't, couldn't speak because I couldn't move my tongue and feel my tongue in my throat, and everything was kind of almost starting to swell up uh, pretty quickly. Travis was back on the practice field taking first team reps on Monday as the Lions prepare to take on the Alouettes later in the week. For a team fighting to make the playoffs, having a healthy starting quarterback is good news heading to Montreal. You know, I feel like, in a way, I feel like I dodged a bullet um, and, and came out, you know, relatively good for, for the nature of the hit. Devere Posey on the practice field, sporting jersey number 85. You'll see him in the lineup against the Els on Friday. Had a few other CFL offers on the table, but chose the Lions because he thinks he's going to be a difference maker here. I still look at the variables and still look at, you know, the best way that, you know, I can go in and, and help a team and produce, you know, catching catching the ball and, you know, getting yards after catch and, you know, making first downs and touchdowns. And I don't know, I you know, with Manny going down, I just feel like, you know, this team needed a guy and, you know, that's what me and Ed talked about. And, and uh, I think it's a great opportunity. We have a guy that, uh, you know, we know can make big plays. We know uh, in big games, uh, you know, he can handle the pressure and the expectation. And, uh, you know, he had opportunities to go other places. He chose here, and we're very happy for it. Yeah, we don't need to see the snow. No. Aaron Rodgers' status for the Packers game against uh, the Minnesota Vikings on Sunday remains up in the air. Packers fa fans can worry about that later in the week. For now, all the talk is the comeback Rodgers orchestrated against the Bears, trailing 20 nothing in the opening half and suffering what appears to be a serious knee injury. Rodgers returned to the field to lead a comeback victory Packers fans won't soon forget about. Rodgers. 
Serving, fires, that's caught, Randall Cobb into Chicago territory. Randall Cobb inside the 20-yard line. Randall Cobb is going to score. 75 yards, that is crazy. Man, I was numb. I mean, you're always worrying about the next play, the next situation. You know, we had... You know, we had some, you know, clock management uh, challenges there that we that, that we did a good job of. So you're you're so into the mechanics of the game, and then, but uh, yeah, definitely one of one of the best games I've ever been a part of. You know, playing behind Brett Favre um, for three years, you realize um, you gotta be tough to play this position. So Stepping up. you got a in that situation about coming back out and leading, and and if you can do it, deal with the pain. You should be out there. Final round of the BMW Championship was pushed to today after torrential rains washed away uh, fourth-round play yesterday. The big cat was prowling today, Tiger. Final round 65, 17 under. At one point, he was one off the lead. He finished tied for sixth. Justin Rose, Keegan Bradley went mano a mano down the stretch. Keegan was poised to win, had a one-shot lead, hit it into the grandstands here on 18, made bogey but got lucky because Justin Rose also made bogey. So they went to the first playoff hole, and Justin Rose hits almost the exact same shot as Keegan Bradley does, except he does it at the worst possible time. Justin Rose would make bogey on the first playoff hole. It's the easy tapping for Keegan Bradley. Bradley winning for the first time on tour in six years. Adam Hadwin, by the way, season is over and done with. He played well, though, today. Shot 67, tied for 19th. Coming up on ET Canada, it's our talented tiff wrap with Julia Roberts, Lady Gaga, and Bradley Cooper. Plus, CBS parts ways with Les Moonves while Olivia Munn and Gina Davis take a stand. That's coming up at 7, right after the news hour. Back to you, Sophie. Thank you very much. The U.S. Open women's final was Saturday, right? Yep. And as people are still talking about it now. Rightfully so. Because of Serena Williams' on-court fight with an umpire. Tonight, more reaction to the controversy and allegations of sexism in the game. I don't cheat to win, I'd rather lose. I'm just letting you know. After being cited for an illegal coaching violation and losing a point for smashing her racket. Serena Williams was then given the rare punishment of being penalized an entire game for a third violation, personally criticizing chair umpire Carlos Ramos. Williams lost the championship match to 20-year-old Naomi Osaka. She called Ramos's treatment of her sexist. I'm here fighting for women's rights and for women's equality and for all kinds of stuff. And for me to say thief and for him to take a game. Ramos is well known as a stickler for the rules, but the controversy has put a spotlight on a perceived harsher treatment of women on the court. At the Australian Open in 2012, Alexander Dogopolov used profanity to question a Ramos call. What do you mean you didn't think? It's a decision I used to make, whether it hinders you or not. Well, that's and was not penalized. Examples like that, says former top five tennis player James Blake, make Williams' claim valid. I've definitely done worse. I've seen others do much worse and not get penalized, and I think there just needs to be consistency. Women's rights activist Charlene Carruthers says the issue goes beyond the tennis court. Everything that happened during the match and everything that's happening since the match is resonating with women because we can relate. We've had to resist and stand up for other women in our lives who've been treated in, in, in a wrong way. Okay, quickly, what do you think? 
Two oh, trays, no doubt about it. There's a double standard, but I thought it was incredibly poor sportsmanship for her to deny Naomi Osaka her first Grand Slam celebration. I thought she, I shot it, it overshadowed what she did. She played a great match. Feel, so. Didn't she like at the end though try to reel it back in? It was too late. It was too. I late. felt badly for Osaka. That's for sure. So did I. Okay, now, let's just remember Naomi Osaka won that. Yes, she did. Final. Oh, okay. We're not talking about that. Quickly, let's head back to the PE uh, and check in with Christy uh, at the PE Prize Home. Christy? Thanks. We're changing lives today, Sophie. So Keith Edwards from Vancouver, he was on the ferry to Nanaimo, heading off on vacation, but got the phone call as he was viewing a double rainbow and seeing uh, porpoises uh, uh, along the edge of the uh, ferry. So pretty exciting for Keith. Congratulations wow. to him. There is a pot of gold at the end of the double rainbow. Yes. Uh, peony That's home, right. Anyway. <laughs> thanks very much, Christy. And thanks for watching. Have a good night.